We want to move on now with the uh, reading and proclaiming of God's Word. My name is Bob. I'm one of the pastors here. And as uh, Stephen mentioned, we are continuing. We're starting back up our series through Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And Lord willing, we will finish it in, uh, over the next four weeks. But today we're looking at what Paul the Apostle says to children and parents. And some of you might think that there's, well, no really need to listen, right? If you're an adult and you don't have kids at the moment... But everyone needs to understand, right, we all have parents, right? We are all kids, whether young or old, and that has deeply impacted us. And if you're a member here at Grace, you have vowed to help parents raise their kids in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So this passage is for you and for the whole Grace community. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word. A reading from the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. God, we're grateful for your word, and we're grateful that you speak into every area of our lives and and also the most important relationships in our lives. And we ask that you would help us to hear this word today, help us to see how Jesus uh, can transform uh, the most intense and important relationships we have. Help us to hear good news and plant it in our hearts and our lives, and may it bear fruit in your time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, this is kind of like insider Christian culture type thing, but have anyone ever heard of the Babylon Bee? The Babylon Bee uh, is sort of like uh, the, the Christian humor magazine or newspaper, sort of like what The Onion is or what The Onion was, if you know about The Onion. Babylon Bee has some great headlines. One, one of my favorites is this, Calvinist dog corrects owner, no one's a good boy. <laughs> Horrified Baptist parents discover Fortnite contains dancing. But this is my favorite. Parents of crying child mustn't be any good. And here's the article. Noting how the pair's failure to promptly resolve the situation was a clear indication of their inability to raise or care for another human being, sources confirmed Friday that the parents of a crying infant must not be any good. Initial attempts to subdue the wailing child, which reportedly included presenting her with a bottle and later a stuffed animal, are said to have failed miserably leading onlookers to conclude that the inept adults lacked even the most basic child-rearing skills. In addition, the baby's incessant screaming only worsened following the couple's repeated attempts to soothe her, further highlighting their profound inadequacies as a mother and father. At press time, sources confirmed another child just a few feet away from the bawling infant was not crying and was therefore being raised by good parents who loved her. (laughs) See, we've all judged those parents of crying babies at some point, And then many of us had those babies and became those parents. Parenting is hard. Being a parent is hard. You have to guide a person from helpless infancy to self-sufficient adulthood and beyond. And you have to do it, maybe the hardest job there is, without making it all about yourself. But being a kid is hard too. We have an ongoing debate in our house, which is better, adulthood or childhood? My girls are convinced that childhood is better because all adults do for fun is sit around and talk about boring things. I try to tell them that adulthood is better 
because parents aren't Jesus. Most of us don't enjoy having bosses at work. Imagine if your boss was now not only in charge of your work life, but also suddenly in charge of you eating your vegetables and your bedtime and your screen time and your social time. doesn't sound fun to me. And that's often how childhood can feel. Probably the greatest emotional human bond is between parent and child. And all of us here have been children and have had parents, for better or worse. So, of course, Paul addresses this important relationship. Remember that in his letter, Paul has emphasized that Christians are eternally loved, that they have a new identity united to Jesus. They are forgiven, the new people of God who can live new lives. All of creation is being summed up in Jesus. So, of course, he should impact every relationship we have. Imagine being able to honor your father and mother without being defined by their approval or neglect. Imagine being able to love your kids, whether young or old, without being defined by their success or failure. This is what Jesus can do in our lives. And it's how we'll look at this passage. We'll follow Paul's order, looking at children first, And then parents. So first, to the children. I'm speaking to children, to kids, to teenagers right now. Uh, Don't get a sick feeling in your stomach. You don't have to pay close attention for the next 30 minutes, just for about the next 7 or 8 minutes. Okay? Talking to you kids. Verses 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. I'm watching you. All right, so kids, if you're rolling your eyes, I understand. Of course, an adult is going to tell kids that they must obey their parents. It's a conspiracy against kids. But Paul, the author, the the author here, he knew something that your parents and other adults forget. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the Bible that Paul and Jesus had, there were 613 commandments. 613 laws and rules like love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, heart, soul, strength, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Don't steal, don't murder, don't eat pig. At the time of Jesus and Paul, the experts of the law, the theologians, they asked this question. Of the 613 commandments, which is the most difficult? What is the most difficult command to follow? You know the one they picked? This one. The fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, obey your parents. Of all the rules and laws God gave Israel, this was considered the most difficult. Isn't that interesting? But if you're a kid right now, that might not surprise you. It's really hard to obey your parents. It's really hard to honor your parents. And that's why Paul says to kids, obey your parents in the Lord, right, in Jesus. Now, that might just sound like religious talk to you. Paul is always saying, in Jesus this and in the Lord that. But here's the point. You need Jesus to do this. You need Jesus to successfully obey your parents. All of us need Jesus to honor our parents, So kids, teenagers, you need Jesus to do this, and you have him. Jesus is with you, and he will help you do everything he calls you to do. He calls you to honor and obey your parents, and he will help you do that as you ask him to. 
Well, this is, this is God we're talking about. God is with kids, living in kids to help them do the right thing. No one thought something so ridiculous back then that God would live in a child to help that child or that a child could be united with the divine. In the Roman world, children were to be neither seen nor heard. But Paul speaks directly to kids as legitimate moral agents who can make real choices with God's help. Kids, teenagers, by telling you to obey and honor your parents, Paul has given you incredible dignity. You have responsibilities. You have something to do. You are both seen and heard. And you have Jesus to help you. Jesus is as available to you as he was to Paul, as he is to your pastor, as he is to your parents. Because you are important to Jesus. If either of your parents are Christian, then you belong to Jesus and his people, the church. If you trust Jesus, you belong to him and his people. And Jesus knows what it's like to be a kid. Jesus knows what it's like to have to obey his parents. If you think obeying your parents is hard, imagine how difficult it was for Jesus. He is the Son of God, and his earthly parents were sinners, and they had authority over him. Most young people at some point think they are wiser, smarter, and better than their parents. But Jesus knew he was. So he can help you when there are disagreements with your parents about when you can do what, who you can spend time with, what you're supposed to wear, on and on and on. Here's the reason to, you're given to obey your, and honor your parents, verse 3, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Your relationship with your parents is probably the most powerful and complicated relationship of your life. Parents bless us, but they also pass on their sins to us in various ways. The struggles we have with our parents are usually end up becoming the struggles we have with others. And if you learn to walk with Jesus now, obeying your parents as kids, honoring them later into your teen years and young adulthood, if you do that with Jesus, you will learn how to honor people but not be controlled by them. It stinks being under someone else's authority, but it never changes. Even for adults, you will always be accountable to others, and you learn how to do that as a kid and as a teenager. And the master at this, Jesus, he walks with you as you attempt to do it. Jesus did the most submitting anyone will ever have to do. He went to the cross to torture and death for us. And you know what he was doing a few hours before that? He was asking his dad if he could get out of it, if he could let him off the hook. And his dad said no. So Jesus went to the cross, and now he's changed the world and can live in you. So now you can be defined by God's love, not your failures or your struggles to obey or perform. You need Jesus' help to honor and obey anyone, but especially your parents. Remember, it's the hardest command. So when your parents are expressing disappointment about your lack of listening and obeying, you can say, Mom, Dad, it's really hard to do this. I need Jesus' help. And hopefully your parents stop and say, you're right, can I pray for you? But be careful not to use Jesus for your own purposes. Do not weaponize Jesus. 
When your parents scold you for not doing something, and you say something like, what do you expect? I'm not Jesus. Well, then I suggest your parents say something like this to you in return. You're right. You're not Jesus. So I think instead of going out on Friday night, you'll stay in, and we'll have a three-hour Bible study on how someone like you can start acting like someone like Jesus. Looking forward to it. You need Jesus to do this, and you have him as you ask him for help. All right? That's kids. Oh, I'm supposed to say, yeah, there it is. Good. All right, now parents, kids, keep listening, but we're moving to your parents now. In fact, you should listen to what I say to your parents. Verse 4, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, we could do a sermon series unpacking just this one verse. Instead, we have about 20 minutes, but I do hope to send out some resources uh, to you all Uh, books and sermons and that kind of thing that can be helpful. But what does it mean to bring up your kids in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Well, these are broad terms. One thing to note is that the word here, discipline, does not really mean punishment or consequences like we often use it. It means basically a training program. Think about like an overall system or culture that helps us set values, goals, a game plan, hoped for outcome. So let's start with what it doesn't mean. The discipline and instruction of the Lord is not the discipline and instruction of Stanford. It's not the discipline and instruction of startup culture. It's not the discipline and instruction of Facebook and Instagram likes. It's not the discipline and instruction of upper middle class prosperity. It's not the discipline and instruction of your preferred junior Olympic team. It's not the discipline and instruction of whatever counselor, pastor, homeschool guru, or health expert you have found to be helpful. What are we teaching our kids? Whose discipline and instruction are we giving to them? I have permission to tell this story. Some of you remember Brent Webster, campus minister at UC Berkeley. Now he's a church planter in Oakland. He's preached for us here a few times. He's an amazing minister. He spent eight years ministering to young adults at Berkeley, most of whom couldn't help but believe their greatest task and ultimate identity was found in academic and then career success. He got to show those people Jesus and bring them freedom. At this time, his son was in eighth grade, and his son had gotten a B on a particular test that Brent thought he could have done better on. His son was not putting forth enough effort, and so he said to his son, we need to sit down and talk. So they sit down, and as they do so, the tears are already welling up in his son's eyes. And Brent says, what? What's going on? And his son says, Dad... I feel like every time I get a B, we have to have a talk. And that was a dagger to the heart. Brent was devastated. So much of his ministry was trying to free people from that exact problem of parental expectations. One of his students was given the middle name A by his parents, so he would always remember to get A's. Seriously, was Brent doing this to his son? I've mentioned before how one night at bedtime, one of our girls was panicking because she was afraid that if she didn't behave well, God wouldn't love her. What? My whole life's work, one of the founding principles of this church is that our behavior will never be good enough. It can't be about our behavior or how good we are. That can't be what God's love is based on. Yet the human beings growing up in my home can't help but think that God's love is conditional based on their behavior. Where'd they get that from? They got it from me. 
What is the discipline and instruction you are raising your kids in? At a minimum, the discipline and instruction of the Lord has to be rooted in and communicate two interlocking truths. God is in control and God loves you. God is in control and God loves you. Both of those have to be true. You have to believe both of those for your kids in order to not parent out of fear, to not try to control them and manipulate their world. I want my kids to already act as mature adult Christians. I want them to skip dangerous childhood and adolescence because we don't always believe that God is in control and loves them. Or maybe we do believe it, but we think we can love our kids better than he can. But how does wisdom come to an individual? How does someone mature? Isn't it usually by experience? Isn't it usually by going through hard things? King David learned that God was with him as he went through the valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23. David came out the other side and realized, God was with me all along. As parents, our temptation is to wall off and seal shut every potential valley of the shadow of death. You know how ski slopes have uh, bunny slopes for the kids to learn on, right? Not dangerous, really. Well, God gives us all kinds of bunny valleys of the shadow of death for our kids. Health problems, trouble at school, failure in sports, rejection from peers. In these valleys, they can learn that they need Jesus more than they need their parents. That it's better that Jesus go with them rather than their parents go with them. They need Jesus and the world around them needs Jesus, but the Jesus we often give them can only help them get a little more shine on their Silicon Valley resumes. We watch the show This Is Us, NBC, nearly guaranteed to make you cry every episode. One of the adult siblings named Randall was speaking to his sister about her fears of becoming a mom. Could she do it well? This is what he said. Look, all you can do as a parent is try to pack the days with as much good stuff as possible and hope the good outweighs the bad. You hope that the good stuff sticks. Well, Silicon Valley parents have become adept at packing their kids' lives with good stuff and filtering out the bad. But when do they learn that God is in control and God loves them? Of course, wise boundaries and timely protection is important, but never more important than giving them Jesus. Our kids, young or old, they need Jesus. His life, death, and resurrection means God is in control and God loves them. Do they receive that from you, parents? In their failures, in their doubts, in their misbehavior, in their fears, in the risks that they take. Have you received that from God, parents? Do you know that God is in control and loves you? How would you say God has parented you? Look at this passage in Hebrews 12. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, we all, dis- for the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. 
Now, you might read this passage and hear it as a sort of typical angry God that's depicted in pop culture, ready to smite us if we do something wrong. But that's misunderstanding discipline to mean punishment. We screw up, God punishes us for our own good, of course. No. Just like it's hard to feel safe or relaxed when a parent is constantly correcting you and sometimes punishing you, it's hard to feel safe or relaxed with a God like that because, of course, we're messing up all the time. And when bad things happen to you, like having bad parents or a bad childhood, you wonder, was that God punishing me? Does he simply not love me that much? Of course, that's not the case. Look at the passage here from 1 John chapter 4. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Because Jesus was God-forsaken and hung in the place of our sin on the cross, there is no wrath or punishment left for us. Perfect love casts out fear, and we have been loved perfectly through Jesus. God's parenting of us has nothing to do with punishment. And yet hard things happen to us. Like they're happening to the recipients of this letter to the Hebrews. What is meant for evil, God can twist and turn to good. Even your crummy childhood, even your absent parents, or even your abusive or evil parents. Some of you have those. God can redeem these things because God raises the dead. Because he is in control and loves you. That's the only way to honor your parents who have failed you. If you can see that God is working over, around, under, through, and against your parents' misparenting of you, that what God says about you is more true than whatever your parents ever did or said to you, then you actually can be free of bitterness and resentment. Honoring doesn't have to mean an active relationship, but you can show them the dignity of telling them the truth and pointing them to the possibility of forgiveness in Jesus. That's honoring. There are other ways to break this down, but I think kids are generally asking their parents these two questions. Do you like me? And will you suffer for me? I'm contrasting like with love, because love can feel dutiful and coerced, but being liked is always free, and it's really hard to fake liking somebody. Do you enjoy me? Do you want to be around me? I think many of us here know the dutiful love of our parents, but might not have received the affectionate enjoyment of our parents. Did they communicate to you that they wanted you around? Then secondly, will you suffer for me? Will you put your agenda behind caring for me? This is why not creating boundaries for your kids can make them so angry. Because what you are showing them is that they aren't worth the effort. To consistently enforce rules and boundaries is to suffer. To allow your kids to take reasonable risks and face the consequences is to suffer. We underdiscipline and we overprotect because we don't want to suffer. And that communicates to kids that they're not worth it. The question for you is, does God like you? Will God suffer for you? And Jesus has suffered to the greatest extent possible for you. 
right? We say this over and over again every Sunday. But does God like you? In Genesis, we're told, after God made everything on the seventh day, he just sat back and looked at it all and enjoyed it all. He reveled in what he made. He watched Adam name all the animals, and he walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. The rest of the Bible is an account of how God is going to get that back. He delights in us like a mother her infant, like a shepherd his sheep, like a hen her chicks. And when we look in the mirror, we are usually overcome with a flood of critiques and accusations against ourselves that can be deafening. But when God looks at you, he sees a son, a daughter, and he has nothing but delight and affection for you in spite of knowing everything about you. He made you. He took on your nature. He died for you. He lives in you and is perfecting you. Precisely because God likes us and suffered for us, he is redeeming everything about us. Now, that can be hard to accept or believe. And sometimes God will even use our failure as parents to force us to face this. Dan Allender is a a well-known Christian writer, professor, thinker. He tells this story in one of his books. His daughter Annie was playing in a piano recital, right? It's a recital, so there's no sheet music there. She got halfway through her piece, and she froze. She went blank, completely forgot what came next, didn't know the next note. So she starts over her piece. She gets to the same spot, again goes blank. Can't go on. So she shrugs and gets up and walks off the stage. Dan Allender was mortified. His daughter's failure had exposed him as a failure. He couldn't bear to be there long afterwards. He was even walking ahead of his family when they got to the car to go home. And once everyone got to the car, his daughter Annie, through tears, yelled at him, What, do you hate me now? Why are you so ashamed of me? In that moment, Allender was demonstrating that he neither liked his daughter nor was willing to suffer for her. In his own words, Allender goes on to say this, That moment created a confrontation between me, the dad, and me, that fat, stupid, unattractive kid. I was a bully who had few friends and spent a great deal of my life alone, reading, watching TV, and eating Oreos. I didn't like the me of childhood, and I promised myself that my kids would be healthy, meaning thin, love to learn, meaning straight-A students, and caring, meaning popular with their peers. It's amazing how we can have reasonable and honorable dreams and goals for our children, which are little more than our commitment to finally set to rights our past. If we make parenting our do-over, where we get childhood right, we will crush our kids. It's easy for parents to make parenting about themselves. We think our kids' happiness or success will finally give us the right to feel happy and successful. We think we can justify ourselves through our kids. One pastor put it like this. When we make parenting about us, about our hopes and dreams, it's like creating a reverse umbilical cord. Parents suck the life and nutrients out of their kids to give them life. Is your child's attendance at church about you or them? Are your kid's grades about you or them? Who your kid dates, is it about you or them? 
The way your kids parent their kids, is that about you or them? When you talk with them about these things, do they get the sense that you believe God is in control and loves them? Because one of the best ways to provoke your kids to anger is to say you're all about the gospel, but then show it otherwise in your words and actions. So maybe you're thinking, well, I just got to do better. I just got to be more consistent. I just got to work harder. Yeah, good luck. Or you could try repenting early, often. First to God, then to your kids. Maybe the best way for you to show that God is in control and loves them is by clinging to that yourself in repentance. Last month, our home was taken over by uh, the Hallmark, Hallmark TV show, When Calls the Heart. G-rated, more smarmy than Little House on the Prairie. And the best character is the matriarch of the town, Abigail. Abigail happens to be played by Lori Lachlan, former Aunt Becky of Full House, who is facing possible jail time for using bribes of around $500,000 to get her daughters into USC. That doesn't seem like a good bargain, but anyway. <laughs> she's, of course, been, she's been fired from the show. Our girls are devastated. But you know what? I actually can't judge her too harshly. Even with Jesus, it's hard for me not to parent out of fear or to build my own ego. Bribing your kids way into college is just a logical extent of our culture's values. There's not many more specifics on parenting I can give than that. Don't bribe your kids way into college. It's not so much about a special consequences routine or whether team sports on Sundays is allowed or the specific age they can date or whatever. It's the truth you are living out of. Do you like them? Will you suffer for them? Is God in control? Does God love them? One Christian scholar put it like this, parenting is not hard, it's impossible. And nothing will you fail more miserably. So you need God more than you need to be a good parent. Parents need Jesus. Kids need Jesus. Let's go to him now. God, we thank you that you promised to be with us in uh, this most dear relationship we have uh, with our parents, with our children, and, and we beg that you would work powerfully uh, in our homes and our families, uh, that our families would exhibit the culture of the gospel, that God is in control and that God is love, and that mercy would reign, and that we would recognize that you are working in strange, mysterious, oftentimes hidden ways, sometimes over and against us and what we want for our kids, that we can trust you with them. And that you are a father who does good to his children. Please do this in us. Let us be a community that others, our neighbors, others in Silicon Valley see. And they notice there's something different here about how parents and children relate. Help us to have greater hopes for our kids than simply their grades or college or careers. Help us to trust that in Jesus they are being made new, eternally glorious. It's in his name we pray. Amen.